It's Vancouver's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Fay, hub builder and co-host of British Columbia's podcasts, part of the Canada's Podcast Network, your source for great insights from entrepreneurs from across Canada. We talk to entrepreneurs who are making it happen here so you can listen, discover, and engage. Adrian Moisey has a track record for building and leading high-performance agile teams and delivering great software products and engaging user experiences on multiple platforms. Adrian's focus has always been on the delivery of excellence. So companies like Michelin, Nintendo, Nike, Electronic Arts are just a few of the brands he's worked with in Canada the USA, and Europe. Adrian founded and is the CEO of Equilibrium, a Vancouver-based digital product development and design studio dedicated to creating web, mobile, and Internet of Things solutions. Equilibrium is committed to helping clients get their product out to market quickly, efficiently, and with zero waste. His team strives to set the bar for engaging customer services for the product by combining an intuitive interface design with carefully crafted code leading to an unforgettable customer experience. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you, Emma. It's a pleasure for me to be on uh, your show. Absolutely. Let's kick off with telling us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Sure. I had the opportunity to be part of building high-performance teams, starting with my first job in Europe when I assisted Ubisoft to build an office in Romania. We started with a team of maybe 10 people, and in about four years, we probably have 100 people or so um, developing entertainment uh, solutions from Europe. So Ubisoft is like electronic arts of Europe. Then um, I moved to Canada about 20-something years ago, and uh, I started by doing my PhD at uh, Simon Fraser University, and I started a summer job that turned up into a four years of full-time employment with the company who became a Kessel Medical Imaging. In those boom days of the 2000s, um, the company was looking to bring um, additional uh, skilled uh, professionals on board, so help that company grow too. Another experience I had was in here in Canada with Electronic Arts, who was looking to build the mobile gaming division with um, platforms such as um, Sony PSP and Nintendo DS. The company was feeling Electronic Arts was really interested in developing games in-house for mobile devices. So I had the opportunity to be part of uh, the team who established a foundation for mobile game development Electronic Arts. We started with um, a handful of senior managers and in six months we had 120 people. Just before Equilibrium, I was part of another company who had the executive move from Regina to Vancouver. And um, my role was to build a delivery team here in Vancouver. I was probably employee number nine, and I helped grow that organization to about 90 people in 18 months. In the process, we also became one of the top 10 um, employers in Canada by the two years later. So I was excited about this idea of starting something new in which uh, we break down the barriers, the if you want um, constraints that exist into a more established organization and, and start with the principle of agility and start in equilibrium. 
and um, I had the opportunity to bring teams together similarly from different backgrounds, uh, multidisciplinary teams. We grew fast and sustainably, and um, we have been rewarded two years in a row and been nominated uh, among top five best employers in VC out of the 700 or so organization who got into this contest. So Equilibrium managed to grow fast, yes, sustainably. Congratulations, that's excellent news, yes. So how how big is your team now? Uh, We have about uh, 50 people. Adrian, what makes a best employer scenario? What, what's the criteria? It's a great question. Most recently, as we are growing our, the organization fast, uh, we, we tripled up a company two years ago. Last year, we doubled up. Um, so we want to grow fast, but sustainably. Mm-hmm. And we want to not just put warm bodies in the seat, but we want to increase the density of talent with the new hires that we bring on board. We had an opportunity to go and review our culture and values. What you see behind me here is um, one of the posters that we put in place to represent uh, what are some of the values that we believe into, what's the purpose of the organization. So for us, the concept of balance is very important, which is what you see in the name of the organization, Equilibrium. I always got excited about the idea of harmony, balance between user experience and technology, between craftsmanship and speed between agility and thoughtfulness. So employees who have this, um, who are grounded, who feel, you know, they are well balanced between personal priorities, jobs, clients, internal focus, people who are resourceful, who are entrepreneurial, who enjoy having this autonomy to do their best work and they're passionate about the craft, have the tendency to succeed at equilibrium. We saw some of them being recognized, promoted, even multiple times a year and uh, growing their career fast. One of our mm-hmm. priorities, and if you want differentiators, is that we help our employees reach up their potentials and develop their career faster than any other organization. Tell me a little bit about how your team works, Adrian. Are you all based in one space? Do you have remote workers? Do you have combination of Canadian and international workers? Tell us about a bit about your makeup. Sure. Um, it's a bit of a combination. All our team is based in Canada, in particular in, in BC. Last year, we opened a second office in Kamloops. Um, that being said, our employees have valued um, flexibility. And so the ability for them to work remote is, is one of our differentiators, one of the way to basically empower and trust our team to uh, do the be- best work from whatever location. So using video conferencing um, mm-hmm. capabilities, tools like Slack and other tools for collaboration like Google Drive, the team can do the best work and collaborate from any locations, both internally, but also with our clients who are based both in Canada and United States. So our team is based in, in Vancouver. We have one of our colleagues who actually moved from Kamloops to join his um, wife in uh, Ontario. But other than that, everybody is uh, based here in the greater Vancouver area. Tell me a little bit about a day in the life of Adrian. I like to wake early in the morning, um, prepare breakfast for um, the family, have um, sit together and um, then take the kids to school. Start early, can be in the office around 7.30, and I enjoy that kind of private time to look into some of the things about big thinking, big picture strategy, a voice thing, 
try to stay away from emails um, because that kind of private time, I feel like that's my highest productivity peak. Then we'll get together with the various members of the team, anywhere from me being involved in strategy and positioning to helping up on a pitch, to actually being involved hands-on into delivery. I enjoy being participating in, in these activities anywhere from meeting with clients or, or prospects early in the process or actually being part of the actual delivery team. So it's a combination between doing project work, strategy and thinking, getting alignment and making some decision with the team around some goals and objectives, recruiting and in particular talent acquisition, developing employees. It's, it's a big part of what I do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so we're trying to stay ahead, not only on what we need today, but also have a good network. So as new projects come up or we're looking to expand or move into new disciplines, we have a good uh, network of people to connect with. Um, so being that proactive allows us to continue to grow the business and move at a fast pace. How do you re respond to the, the idea or at least the, um, you know, the reputation that recruiting and, and retaining talent is tough right now? Mm -hmm. is it, how, how are you finding that? It truly is. I, I've been in this um, recruiting in Vancouver for over 20 years for different organizations. I feel it's getting increasing. The, the demand for talent is, is in, continuing to increase, especially when we're seeing some of the larger organizations, think about Amazon and Facebook, Google, opening offices in Vancouver. Microsoft has an office in Vancouver, Tableau. So some of the companies who I established either in Silicon Valley or in the Washington state, just south of the border, have also opened offices in here, making the competition for talent more pressing. The schools are trying to kick up and trying to adapt to the new demands of, the, of employment, what you see coming from the industry. However, for us, we're not focusing solely on hiring in Vancouver. So we have a global right. recruiting strategy. We're also looking in for other strong university hubs um, in, in Canada. Um, and we already established an office and opened an office and hire people in, in other parts of BC. The other thing is I'm also an immigrant and I have a great pleasure to offer opportunities for other immigrants to build a home and make Canada a place that, that they strive in. So um, we bring people in from Brazil, from Mexico, from Ireland, from France, Russia, Romania. So we have diversity, not only in backgrounds, but also diversity in, in thought. Excellent point as far as they bring an international perspective, right? And, mm -hmm. and diversity of culture and thought and being able to apply it into maybe some of your client projects. Just a little bit curious on that notion. What would be the sort of base criteria that you would look at if you were looking at immigrant workers or, or students coming out of institutions? What would be the, you could name one sort of basic skill set in programming. What, what, what would it be? Depending on the seniority of the position, um, there is a combination between hard skills and soft skills. Okay. Um, it uh, means a lot for us. So alignment with our values and culture means a lot. So there is a combination between bringing people in who've been there, done that, and then you assume that the knowledge that they have in the past and the achievement they had in the past will translate in your organization, which is not always the case, especially <laughs> if there is that lack of alignment on the culture and values. Second, there are individuals that have 
a good start, but they are still earning their careers. But what's special about them is to uncover their potential. One thing that, for example, we, we distinguish between a person being nimble and versatile, having a very solid background, compared to a person who just been in the industry for many years, because it may be many times one year of experience as opposed to people who have a growth mentality and who take this deliberate approach to honing their skills. So for us, the concept of craftsmanship is really important. And how old you are and how long you've been doing a task or a job is not indicative of your ability to, to deliver value to our clients or to our company. I've got to ask, how on earth do you identify that craftsmanship and, you know, value alignment with perhaps I can say, you know, that flexibility, those are really hard things to identify on a resume or on an application. What's your secret on finding the right people? It's a great question. Um, There is nobody that has a perfect score in hiring, right? So what we're doing is we make hiring a priority and we bring some of the best people we have into the hiring process. Our company recognizing that it's a great contribution to trust you to be the ambassador for Equilibrium. And mm-hmm. you also, I think if you want as our own white cell, you know, ensuring that the foreign particles don't get into the body, right? So they're acting as a protection mechanism to ensure that both our DNA, but also our commitment to our customers and to quality do not get diminished. Again, for us, objective is to increase density of talent, not just put warm bodies in the seats. The, our process is quite complex. So because of that, it's actually a, a challenge because some people are saying, well, I know a bunch of companies who will hire me just because I know how to spell Java. Well, that's not us. Because we believe the people that are the same, they would have the tendency to aggregate to come together. So if we have really high performing individual, they take good pride to show their skills. And also if they saying this process of selection is quite elaborate, if you go through the same diligence in bringing mm-hmm. the other member of the team, I should be in a good place as opposed to somehow I got in. What I'm going to find here, nobody knows because this was the easiest interview process in the world. We don't want to be known for the easiest interview process. So our diligence is going anywhere from starting with the phone screen, obviously after reviewing the, the application, the resume, and the cover letter, then bringing in the team, the person to meet typically with the hiring manager. But we're not just taking people who are good at interviewing. We get people to test them in the typical work conditions. So we give them an applied test, which is very similar to what they would do in a daily activity. So if it's about mm-hmm. software development, they will be writing code. Let's just talk about that for a second. Let's jump on that. Can you describe, because you said you do a little bit of applied client work, what's been the most fun or engaging or challenging project that you work? Can you give us a tiny snapshot on what the challenge was from the client and what you did for them? I don't even know which one to choose, but here's one that we're working on recently. It involves uh, virtual reality and augmented reality related to business intelligence and data sciences. So the interesting part of this project with a um, client, it's a big company that um, had the headquarters in um, Washington State in Seattle area. Their focus is on business intelligence and uh, analytics. And they recognize that certain technologies such as augmented reality and virtual reality 
have an increasingly bigger impact. We're seeing organizations like Apple spending a lot of time and dollars to make their tools, the Apple phone, the AR, mm-hmm. VR kit, a priority in terms of their relationship with developers. However, this organization wasn't interested just in providing a cool demo, something that has the zinc, but not really, it's just superficial. Hey, it's a cool tool, but when you ask yourself, now, what do I do with this? <laughs> because reality is VR, AR, it's in, still in the face to prove itself as a value-added technology in, in a number of industries. We, we understand in the entertainment industry that has got significant applications, but given the cost of acquiring some of these um, devices, which is still prohibitively high, it's coming down fast, but it's still high, it hasn't achieved mass you know, adoption. Mm-hmm. So because of that, other than being something cool to see people, this type of um, hand manipulation or 3D visualization, the, the question here is how do we move the needle? How do we make an actual impact in the life of their customers or of their staff? So the man that we had with this organization was to find a case study that's actually applicable to their space that it's solving a concrete problem. The other thing that they were looking in the software was Typically, consume allow for individual manipulation. They are looking for how do we make this more of a collaborative approach. So we started this project without actually knowing what problem we are going to solve. So that was part of the discovery phase. The other thing we didn't know, since we don't know what problem we are actually solving, what technology are we going to be using? So in a short period of time, we had this very tight collaboration with the client coming to their office or them coming to our office to figure out what is the problem to solve and how kind of combination between what is typically what type of problems their clients are facing, looking into where AR, VR has proved to actually add value and then finding something at that intersection that will allow to go past this initial pilot into putting AR, VR on the roadmap for their product development in the future. Right now, we are in the latest phases of this project. We have um, connected uh, three Microsoft HoloLens devices that allows people to not only interact with this augmented reality system that we implemented for them, but it's also enabled this user to actually collaborate with each other. So we check the box in terms of finding value that links business intelligence and data and analytics to the benefits of augmented, VR, augmented reality and VR, but also bringing together the aspect of collaboration that's offered between data scientists and people who are actually leveraging the tools of their analysis. Are, are we talking putting on a set of goggles and using hands to do an operation? What's it look like? It's a good question. I'm going to try to answer you while not um, you know, violating any of the non-disclosure we have. So the technology we're using is a Microsoft HoloLens. So it's one of these devices that look like a motorcycle helmet. This allows you to visualize a 3D environment. Then another person that's sitting in the same um, environment as you are will see the same object. So as opposed to having two different renderings on your computers, you all look in the same location. And one person interaction with this three-dimensional environment will be visible by the other individual. So we created, if you want, like a virtual world 
the same way you see in gaming, in which multiple people can, can participate and interact. A data scientist is looking at data information that he's analyzing, looking for pattern, looking for what's the story to tell here, is acting a bit of a de detective. I have this information. What's the hypothesis that I should be forming? How is data helping me solve this? So right. he's looking in this type of spreadsheets in here, and then as he's manipulating and he's segmenting the data, you see the results apply to this three-dimensional object. So there is the concept of digital twin, which is basically saying it can model a physical object and creates a digital replica of that particular object. So now we're bringing together real physical objects with data and, and analytics, and then we bring all these pieces together through virtual reality using the Microsoft HoloLens in an environment that allows for collaboration between multiple team members. Cool. Okay, jumping now a little bit to your base in Vancouver. Are you right downtown, Adrian, or, or where in Vancouver are you? Yes, we are. So I can move my camera just a bit. Ah, cool. Right view from our office here. We are right in downtown Vancouver, and we it's a view from um, the harbor and where the cruises dock in the summer. It's nice. a great location because it's a very convenient access from using the SkyTrain or coming from to and from the airport, buses also. Uh, the sea bus, so so it's a very convenient location, but also close to many of our clients. Perfect. Tell me a little bit about uh, what is unique about doing business in Vancouver from your experience. Mm. So I think the business ecosystem and the startup ecosystem in Vancouver have evolved quite a bit. Um, since I remember when we started a few years back, there wasn't as much as many success stories and as much um, availability of resources that exist right now. And then one of the things that were happening is was the scarcity of both talent and funding. So okay. companies reaching a certain size, people were complaining um, in terms of which are these kind of enterprise, kind of the motherships who have organizations that go above 50 million, 100 million into a billion dollars in terms of growing to a certain size, which is a level of commitment that's much more substantial than entrepreneurs taking the company five million, ten million, and then making a quick exit, right? right. So having a large organization, think about organizations that maybe electronic cars that I used to work for in the past. Now we're seeing organizations like Hoosuite also getting ready for some sort of an activity or an exit. More recently, we saw some other acquisitions that reach a billion dollars in, in terms of the size of the, the, the company that are growing in Vancouver. So with that, we're seeing certain industry being established and, and definitely with the digital supercluster starting in Vancouver and the governor of Canada committing hundreds of million dollars over a number of years with commitment from the industry to create this type of interactions and collaboration between universities small businesses and large enterprises. So I think that overall, we are well positioned because of the availability of talent being on the West Coast when a lot of things are happening in this corridor, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, California, time zone, transportations, um, availability of talent, and now investment in, in people that are willing to basically 
invest in Canadian organization, this has significantly improved. We by no means in the same league as Silicon Valley, but I think that it's it's a positive trend and, and I like to acknowledge that. Adrian, what's your perspective? Tell me, just if you could comment on the supercluster. What is it and how is it going to define British Columbia business over the next decade? So the government of Canada has invested in a number of initiatives and they kind of break down into a number of some on the East Coast, some in the Prairies, this one in Vancouver, in, in British Columbia. The one in British Columbia, the digital supercluster is focusing on technologies anywhere from life sciences. I mentioned to you earlier the concept of the digital supercluster. So organizations such as Telos, Microsoft, have been spearheading some of these initiatives, but the objective here is not to add dollars to the already rich and large organization, but to foster collaboration. To, to get a project funded through the digital supercluster, we need to bring together a partnership that involves um, academia, that involves small businesses, and involve an enterprise sponsor. So the objective is to increase collaboration and um, to enable the creation of uh, IP here in British Columbia, allowing us to solve those problems within Canada, but also to, to export this IP uh, internationally too. Are you involved in any super cluster projects yourself? We are associated with the digital super cluster, but we are not part of the projects that have started uh, already. Okay. The digital supercluster, I think, is still in the startup kind of phase. They have a new leadership team. They're trying to understand the balance between putting some processes in place, but also not being um, too onerous in terms of the level of um, overhead that's required in terms of putting this application together and running these projects. We decided to give it a bit of time to see how this initial project play out. <laughs> um, and then based on that, to calibrate. But we'll have to sort of see um, opportunities to partner with a number of organizations such as LiveLabs or Telus, who are already engaged in this type of um, supercluster initiatives. Let's make it personal for a moment. If you could wave a magic wand, this is Adrian now talking. Adrian's waving a magic wand and he could solve a world problem with this super cluster efforts based out of BC. What, what would you love to see happen? I think the digital supercluster has a number of initiatives that they are focusing on. So what I'm saying right now may not be at the top of the list. But one of the things that I'm particularly passionate about is about education and enabling um, children from all over the world to have access to their most valuable asset, which is knowledge. We're going into the knowledge economy, and right now, access to information and knowledge is what creates the separation between classes. And then by unleashing this, it will enable well-being throughout the entire world as opposed to richer getting more rich. So technology is hitting the world, is disrupting all kinds of industry. One of them is education. And for example, right now, the education system is based on people studying the same materials, expecting you to assimilate information at the same speed, and then you have standardized testing. But right now, the trend is towards personalization. People absorb information in different ways. Some people mm -hmm. through video channels, some people 
through writings, some people through audios. The same way people are talking about omnichannel experiences in, let's say, retail, the same way it should happen into education. And there are already some initiatives that are looking to reassess how we've been studying for a long time and to allow for this type of personalized scenario in which people can assimilate information at their own speed and, and how are we adaptive to their needs and also catering uh, this education to also recognize and identify what are people's strengths and how do we play to those particular strengths. Um, I remember an experiment that was run fairly recently. So students took um, that test at the end of um, summer and then they break out for the vacation. And then when they brought the students back, they asked them to taste the same test that they took two or three months before going in summer. But they were concerned, well, 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 some of this information is not as relevant. So why don't we change a bit the test to focus only on the information that's actually more important or more meaningful? And guess what? Most of the students actually failed the test. So this idea about absorbing a lot of information solely for the purpose of passing the test is just going to an only can you fed, overindulge yourself, and then discarding on that right away. So none of that is actually getting settled and assimilated. So we need to move away from rewarding people. Oh, are you able to memorize this information and being compliant to certain scenarios and tests to what kind of work will be successful in the future? And since we right now are thinking linearly about growth and, and change, what if things change exponentially? All we know about and what we learn right now is going to become obsolete. So then how do you stay still relevant? And how do we prepare these kids for what may happen 20 years from now? So Adrian, how old are your kids? 18 and 15. 15. So and I have a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. So I constantly get the question from my, from my 12-year-old boy, right? I don't understand why we're learning that this is going to be completely irrelevant for me. I'm sure you get similar comments from your own children. What advice are you giving them? What is the single most important skill or knowledge that our kids should be embracing now to take them into the, net, into the future? So there are a few skills. So one is learning how to learn. The second is the ability to collaborate with others. The thing is, don't just get a job, make your own job. So, for example, my daughter is 18 and she was involved in three startups already. Uh, she was in Boston recently where her team uh, won an international business competition. So these kids are not following into the footsteps of, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to go to work, and then I'm going to spend 20, 30 years working for the same companies. They are very driven by purpose as opposed to ownership of things. And they are challenging the status quo. They have less patience for things being done at the older pace. And they're they looking for instant gratification. So going back, we know that a number of jobs will be changed because computers will be able to do a lot of the repetitive stuff that we do. The news, however, is it will free us to do some work that can be more meaningful of, and of higher value. So how do you bring that thinking? Think about right now design thinking and tomorrow equilibrium, for example, is attending um, a workshop that we organized with uh, Duncan Warden, former head of innovation from Disney, focusing on design thinking, creativity and innovation that will not be replaced by computers. The computers will replace manual, repetitive, boring tasks 
However, it doesn't mean that, for example, mm -hmm. we will no longer need developers. What we may need is a developer may do the work of a whole team by himself in a shorter period of time. And mm -hmm. that actually, they will actually end up being even more valuable and we pay even more as opposed to, we're not gonna need them anymore. Right. It will change the way we do a number of these things. And there is an obligation for schools and government, but also for technology providers to understand what is that vision for the future looks like? And then how do we set up these children and this education system to be aligned? I love it. Right now, Adrian, can you think of a recommended reading for, let's jump to the, maybe the younger generation. If, if something's crossed your mind or you think there's companies that should be thinking about how to gear up for the future. Can you suggest something that uh, is on that should be on the reading list? So um, I remember when I decided to sort of start Equilibrium, uh, there was this um, book uh, about Lean Startup with the Eric Reese as, as a founder. And we were in an amphitheater at SFU and he was um, presenting to a bunch of eager, excited entrepreneurs to be. And then what do you think about entrepreneurship? Well, it's good, it's gonna do that, it's gonna change the world. And he's like, entrepreneurship is brutal. He's hard. You got like, wow, this guy is on a raining on a parade. What's going on? So the good news is, however, we have distilled some of the challenges that are happening when you start a new business. And there is this concept called lean startup, which is taking an approach which is not unlike what I did in my um, academia years. So during my PhD, you start with hypothesis. And then you build an experiment to validate or invalidate that. Well, why don't you do that with a business proposition or with a product that you want to build? Absolutely. So the concept of Lean Startup is to hypothesize. I believe if I build a product that does this and this, people will use it this way and they're willing to sort of, will make this impact on them or on the end users and they will be willing to sort of pay us certain amounts of money and so on. Can you think so, of three top resources that people who want to get hired or companies that are looking at being based out of Vancouver could tap into as a, as a network or a valuable resource? There are a number of meetups. So there is this network that allows people that are connected with a certain community to get to learn from each other. That's one of these um, forums that I, I encourage and everybody at any level can find the meetup that it's relevant for them. Adrian, if I look up meetups Vancouver, there's going to be like 20 of them. Is there a particular one that jumps out for you? It depends on what, the, for example, that meetups for entrepreneurs. There are meetups yeah. for product managers. Okay. So we're seeing organizations, for example, from Silicon Valley opening offices here in Vancouver or companies who have other offices in Toronto, they're looking to open a second office. So depending on what is important for them, what's that, as I mentioned a moment ago, the big hypothesis, we believe what? We're going to find this type of talent, we believe this is relevant for the people here. Gotcha. Depending on what problem they're trying to solve, they can join the appropriate meetup. For the leadership team, what I did is I found valuable to have peer networks. And one of them is called the ASTEC CEO Forum, which is focusing on CEOs of technology companies. And I chair one of these uh, CEO roundtables for a couple of years until I joined the McKay CEO Forum, which is probably a thousand um, executive, mostly CEOs throughout the entire Canada. 
We get there regularly with a professional facilitator, which is uh, the chair of the roundtable. We bring speakers and then we share problems. We, we help each other. We hear other people in terms of what's important to them. The other thing that I also found valuable is to put together an advisory board. What are my strengths? And then where are the areas where I could use um, some help? So surrounding myself with people that have been there, done that, has been very valuable for us. Great tip. Just kind of a a classic Canada's podcast question is, uh, if you found yourself stranded on a deserted island, Adrian, Mm -hmm. with only one telephone call to make, how long would you last without technology? Uh, What would you do there? And when you were ready to leave, who would you call? Well, depending on how that island looks like, you know, <laughs> uh, the conditions there, nothing wrong with taking a bit of a break. And then how do you make most out of your environment? For example, um, part of that balance, I like practicing martial arts or practicing Tai Chi or meditation. So that may be a great environment, you know, to have some me time or some personal time. Also, in the organization, you often risk to be just busy doing stuff. I was reading about the difference between... Uh, Warren Buffett and, and Bill Gates. Bill Gates has his schedules booked to the minute, or Warren Buffett have barely have any meetings for the entire week because he thinks his most valuable contribution to this company is what he's thinking, not actually doing all those things by himself. So, mm, so interesting. I think for me, getting some a bit of uh, personal time and getting some reflection, both about the company and me personally, can be quite valuable. How long would I last in there? <laughs> I'm not sure. I haven't been uh, uh, a fan of these uh, survival island or so on scenarios. I, I think I'm pretty resourceful and an entrepreneurial and that if you want that survival skills are pretty good. Um, I also, as I mentioned, enjoy the concept of self-defense and so on. So I think these things combined will, will give me a fair chance to actually go beyond just surviving, but actually maybe thriving and enjoying my time there. If I were to make a call, um, there are a number of people that come to mind that I, I could call or reach out or tap into for my wife, my colleagues in here. Um, definitely another person that would come to mind would be maybe calling my brother because I'm, you know, somebody that I love dearly and is very close to me. It's also that the person that will go to the end of the world to sort of... Um, get me out of trouble or bring him back. <laughs> so I was going to say, so he'd, he'd come get you and bring you back. That's right. <laughs> so uh, how come, what's the best way to get a hold of you after, after today? I am uh, quite active on LinkedIn and okay. that's a great way great. to connect to me. Our website, equilibrium.com. We have contact numbers, forms in there. There's a phone number where I can be reached out or people can follow me on social media, in particular in, on LinkedIn and, and um, on Twitter. My Twitter handle is CPTMMBL. Captain awesome. Mobile is, is my Twitter handle. Perfect. Well, Adrian, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for your insights on both on the company and maybe, you know, over the workplace of the future and the work skills of the future. It's been super insightful. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you. Hey there, thanks for taking the time today to listen to British Columbia's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed the show today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters and write a review for us on iTunes. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canadaspodcast.com. You can check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'm Angela Fay. See you next time.